Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hello, Attacking Third is live on YouTube. Hello to everyone joining us in the chat. We have a She Believes Cup recap for you all. We're going to chat about Canada versus Brazil. We're going to chat about the United States versus Japan. So make sure you subscribe to us, like this video, and drop your thoughts on the roster in the chat. Hello and welcome to Attacking Third, a CBS Sports Soccer Podcast. I'm Sandra Herrera, lead NWSL writer for CBS Sports. I'm joined today, as always, by my colleague and co-host, Lisa Roman, broadcaster and analyst for CBS Sports. We're recapping everything She Believes Cup. We're going to go over both matches that took place on match day two. Quick reminder for you all to make sure you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform, we're also on YouTube, so make sure you hit subscribe to us at youtube.com slash attacking third. Make sure you get exclusive USWNT content from us right here on A3. Lisa, we've got a couple more games to talk about. United States still on top of the standings here. They are on top of the standings. Uh, that's exactly where they want to be. I think it's where a lot of people expected them to be, but it, it has not always been smooth sailing for the United States throughout the She Believes Cup. Um, this is exactly what we wanted as fans, as media covering the U.S. Women's National Team with four or five months before the World Cup. We need this team to be tested, and they got a test against Japan. The, the competition in She Believes between Japan, Canada, Brazil, the U.S. is is really good. We knew it was going to be good, but it is very fun to watch these top nations play. Um, I'm excited to join you on this Monday morning, Sandra. How how's it going? How was your weekend? Filled with soccer? Filled with soccer. Look, we're we've been talking about it. I feel like all month, and we're now we're living it, Lisa. We're living the dream. We've been chatting all about February's wild window, the uh, official FIFA international window, and all of the soccer taking mm-hmm. place over the course of really these next, uh, what is going to be the the past 10 days or so. Um, yes, that includes She Believes Cup. It also includes Arnold Clark. Uh, it includes the Inter-Confederation playoffs. So we're going to know <laughs> real soon about who's going to be the uh, fourth team in Group E alongside the United States Women's National Team. And in the meantime, we've been keeping kind of the focus on, on She Believes Cup because we we felt uh, uh, like exactly how you said we were going to feel. We were waiting for these games because we wanted to see um, we wanted to see the United States get tested against these particular programs. Uh, we're talking national teams that they have uh, pretty significant histories with. Um, you know, Canada, Brazil, and Japan are all national teams that uh, the United States has has long rivalries with in terms of just overall series head-to-head, right? They kick things off with a 2-0 win against Canada. 
Um, and that was the 64th meeting between the two teams. And then they just uh, met Japan, 39th meeting overall. So it's it's a long it's a long history between between all of them. Um, but they came off of that uh, that 2-0 win against Canada. And when we were recapping the game, part of what we spoke about was uh, you know sort of just Canada's energy mm-hmm. in this game. We had we had to open up both the preview and the recap, and and we're going to chat about it again here in case you're joining us. Uh, in our She Believes Cup coverage for the first time. But but Canada has been in an ongoing uh, labor dispute with their federation um, over lack of resources, budget cuts, and pay inequity. And they kicked off She Believes Cup uh, sort of talking about how they were going to, to boycott at one point. They were threatened with litigation. And then they decided, okay, well, we are going to participate, but we are playing in protest. That first game against the United States uh, introduced the, how their protest is going to look for the for the foreseeable future. Uh, they'll be wearing purple Mm -hmm. Uh, in in protest uh, due to uh, what it represents in terms of gender, uh, you know, the fight for gender equality. So that continued in match day two for Canada. We still saw them come out playing in protest. They had the purple shirts. They had the the purple wristbands, the shirts reading enough is enough. And one of the things we were curious about in our preview um, is how they were going to look in their second Mm -hmm. match. So, uh, you know, was there going to be this still sort of that um, heavy emotional weight uh, of having to once more keep fighting for these types of things with your federation? You know, keep, you know, make awareness, uh, you know, create awareness around all of this. How is that going to you know affect the team and head coach Beth Priestman in the in the recap press conference against that loss against the United States? Targeted that said that we're going to have to yeah. come out with different energy. Um in these next two games, we, we, it's a round robin tournament. Uh, we don't have a lot of time to, to make those adjustments. It's going to have to come quickly. So yeah, I mean, win is a pretty, pretty good turnaround. A huge turnaround for Canada. Yeah. I mean, Canada's head coach, Bev Friesman saying that calling her team flat against the United States. And that is like the worst thing that you could call a team and your own team as a coach. I mean, that's a really bad reflection on your team and on you as a coach, frankly, but I mean, their attention and their mental state had been completely divided because of everything that was happening off the pitch. I I think the response from Canada in this two nil win over Brazil was exactly what Canada wanted. It's exactly what Bev Priestman wanted. It's exactly what Canada needed, right? You, you talked about the the purple wristbands, the purple shirts. Brazil also making a statement and saying that we're going to stand with Canada uh, wearing purple wristbands themselves in, in support of gender um, equality across the board. And uh, so I thought I think that's also um, such a testament to this sport and the women's side of football because it, it is such a family and it's uh, despite competitors on the pitch, like they come together off the pitch, right. To, to have supports in the same thing. Um, but I, I agree. I think that for Canada to turn it around completely uh, after suffering a two nil loss to the United States, they end up keeping a shutout in goal. And it was Kaylin Sheridan, who was the San Diego wave goalkeeper in the NWSL goalkeeper of the year in 2022. She had a tremendous game in goal, um, looked a bit more focused in this game as everyone did for Canada. Um, I, I also think we saw 
a, a little bit different of play from Brazil than we did in the first match against Japan. I mean, Brazil was a team that had a little, had a few ups and downs in their first match against Japan. I think the changes in the second half of that first game for Brazil were much better. Uh, we saw them try different things against this Canadian side. I mean, looking for quick attacks, looking to attack them down the center where Canada was very weak against the United States and Canada looked much stronger down the spine of their team. Um, and I think the way that this game unfolded for Canada was very telling. I mean, they look to be having more fun and, and playing this game more freely. Uh, the goals coming from Vanessa Gilles, the center back on, on a corner kick and a set piece. I mean, the way that Canada was attacking every single moment, they were, they weren't letting the play run out which is what they were doing against the United States. I mean, it was a complete 180 turn for Canada. Oh, no, absolutely. I think, um, gosh, I mean, like I, we talked about how these two teams have familiarity with each other. They're coming off of a couple matches played against each other just even last year, right? And we're not even taking into consideration the times that they have met in um, yeah. international like tournaments like, like this. But I was curious. I was just, you know, how Canada looked like, Priestman said to sort of look flat, you know, in that opening game and how they were going to turn that around, what would, what they were going to use, you know, in terms of, you know, tactics and formations, because in terms of motivation, I don't think that that's something that's missing for this Canadian side. They have plenty of motivation to go out there and, and, and compete. Um, that's something that kind of, I don't know. I think that kind of bothered me a little bit, like, you know, so seeing that, you know, kind of on, um, in social media spaces that they looked unmotivated. I'm like, I don't know if that's the correct phrasing yeah. people should use with this team right now, considering everything that they're, that they're going through. Um, but a, a two zero scoreline almost feels um, the norm for, for these two sides. I mean, mostly I think in terms of the actual stats, right. We're talking about mostly even um, categories here, Brazil leading the, the total shot attempts with 14 to 10, and also leading the total uh, shots on target, six to five. But it's Canada, I think, having the edge with capitalizing on their set piece opportunities. Yes. And sort of sort of the X factor for them uh, against Brazil. And, you know, head coach Pia Sunhag talking about that specifically in the post game it was very interesting to sit on that and listen from both Priestman and Pia about this match. And here's to say, like, she pinned it right on the head. Pia said, well, we know exactly what we have to work on. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Going into the match against the United States women's national team. It was it was so funny. Um, I mean, it to, to, to hear that from her, just a smart coach, been around a long time. And she kept yeah. it very, very frank and very simple uh, coming out of, of the loss. I mean, and and likewise, I think for Canada, they can say, hey, we capitalized on set pieces that that we had in those opportunities because the opening goal um, coming in the 31st minute, so in the four, first half for Canada, off a corner kick. And as the ball kind of uh, gets sent into the box, it's a header and it's a beautiful job by Canada to find the back of the net on this one. And I think if you're Pia and you're Brazil, you're probably a bit more frustrated with the second goal coming for Canada in the second. 71st minute because it was a set piece um, taken as a free kick a little bit farther out and and for Fleming to be able to take this set piece Brazil doesn't clear it and Evelyn Vien is able to jump on it and just kind of like poke it into the net a little bit I mean it's a good strike by her but um, that that goal was 
by a result of poor clearance from Brazil. And that's something that's got to be really frustrating for Brazil. Um, I mean, there was a number of milestones happening throughout this match yesterday on on Sunday uh, when you, you kind of look across the board of, of both teams. Um, Janine Becky earning her 100th international cap for Canada. Um, that was fantastic. We also saw some young players uh, getting some starts and getting minutes for both of these sides. And Marta, we saw more time from Marta uh, after her first time coming back in the opening match of She Believes Cup. And Marta also celebrating her birthday. She turned 37 on Sunday. I know people were all over social media and, and in Nashville at the stadium, like wishing for Marta to get a birthday goal. Um, but Marta coming on in the 60th minute and, and proving herself that she's back. I'm, I'm really pleased with what we're seeing from Marta in terms of yeah. what's going to translate into the NWSL, how she's coming back at 37 years old. She she suffered this ACL injury during her 36th year. Um, that's really hard for someone's body to do and come back. And I think that Marta looks really strong, really fit and, and really good. She hasn't lost a beat. Something else I just have to share coming out of that post-game conference. <laughs> yeah, it actually opened up with a few questions about Marta specifically. And it was so it was so great to hear her talk about it because the 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 quest the line of questioning um essentially was asking Pia like how how and why is like Marta so cool? Yeah. <laughs> Because Pia like actually used that word when chatting about when chatting about her her most iconic and veteran player. It was just like it's just great to have her back because not only is she great at soccer, but she's just so cool. And she was asked to elaborate on that and just she gave examples of both like how she's so great, uh, you know, on the pitch and on the ball, but what she means to the team in terms of you know just being a teammate. Um, and sort of her presence uh, in, in the locker room for for other for other players. Uh, so I thought that was that was probably my yeah. favorite highlight <laughs> or soundbite to come out of of the press. Because like the first opening five minutes was like, yes, like talk to us about how Martha is just so cool. Um, and, I mean, she uh, is so cool. <laughs> and, and Pia was like, yes, one hundred percent. Like let's let's chat about that. But absolutely, happy birthday. Uh, you know, to Martha, the legend for sure. But big win for Canada. Huge. Turns their She Believes Cup tournament around a little bit. Heading into match day two, you don't want to say this early in this type of format that it's a must win. But if you're Canada and you don't get that result or you don't get that win, uh, it changes things for you. And it, we're doing this maybe out of chronological order in terms of the mm -hmm. match day. It was the United States and Japan that played first and then Canada and Brazil were the headliners in, in Tennessee uh, but at that point as they kick off later they have even more um, reason to go out there and not just get a result but get a win knowing that you have you're sort of chasing the tournament leaders in the United States so at that point you're like okay we've got to get a win and we've got to win by multiple goals and we have to try to stay in contention for this final match day. Uh, and we're going to preview that for sure. But we've still got another game that we've got to recap. We've got to recap all things United States versus Japan. We're going to break that down after a quick break. So stick with us. All right, we're back. Let's chat all things United States versus Japan. We're going to spoil it for you. United States, the victors in this one, 1-0. One, and before we actually start Reacting to the starting lineups, talking about the games, just got to put ourselves on blast. Lisa, we did make a prediction. 
for this game. And we said, hey, like we're going to we're going to see a win for the United States. But the score lines that you and I went with were two gold margins. Yeah. You had a 2-0. I had a 3-1. This one ends tense and narrow, a 1-0 victory for the United States. This was a really um, interesting game. This was a very interesting game. That's how I'm going to say it. Um, Whether it was the United States, whether it was Japan, this game was incredible to watch. I can't imagine being a neutral party and watching this game, uh, being in the stadium, right? Uh, This, there was a lot that we have to unpack with this game because, yeah, I thought that after the United States' first game against Canada with, with Swanson getting two goals, the midfield for the U.S. looking really strong. We saw defensive, uh, integrity between the midfield. Um, of course, there was Alyssa Nair, Becky Sauerbrunn providing a lot of communication and a lot of organization defensively for the United States. But um, I was just really impressed after that first game for the United States. Then we head into this second matchup for the U.S. against Japan. And and Japan is a incredibly talented team. They're compact defensively. They're really organized. They are really disciplined they're very technical, which can pose a lot of questions to a United States side um, and what they're able to do. And also, I mean, Canada struggled in that first game against the U.S. So we knew that this was going to be more of a test for the United States uh, against Japan. But I just don't think people were expecting it to be this much of a test, because if you look at some of the stats and how this game was broken down, it is shocking that Japan did not get a goal. It is shocking that Japan did not get a goal. It wouldn't even just like shots, right? 15 shots for Japan and only five for the United States. Two a piece for shots on goal for each of these sides. Um, this was a very, very well-battled game and it opened, a, a, it really showcased a lot of holes for the United States and forced a lot of questions on Black Wadonofsky and this U.S. side, which is exactly what we want five months out from the Women's World Cup. Look, I I enjoyed this game. Yeah, it might have been agonizing, you know, if you're just sort of, if you're taking a look at it as a, as a casual fan. But taking it back for you and I here, referring to the preview, the predictions that we made in there, and I'll still refer to that preview. I'll even refer to, you know, just our build up to this moment um, and this tournament. We. We reacted to the roster when Andonovsky named the 23 mm-hmm. players who were going. We, you know, we reacted to the scheduling and to the the teams when they were announced for She Believes. I feel like we've been talking about this window of time forever. And it it's this is the game that kind of delivered for me. Yeah. Um, I don't did it like listen, did it probably feel great for the team to go out there and, and and get a quick start and win and get a two goal victory against Canada? Sure. Uh, but we were looking, you and I, I know Lisa, we've talked about this pretty frequently, probably over the last four to six games for this team, that we wanted to see something where we would get an eyes view of perhaps more defensive responsibilities from this team. And I think we got that out of this game. 
I think we have when we're talking about it, just hearing you with the quick kind of recap, I think we got to we have to start with the lineups in terms of right. what we could have anticipated in this game. We saw five player rotations to the starting lineup for Andonovsky in this game against Japan. Casey Murphy got the start in goal. Sofia Huerta, Alana Cook, Naomi Girma and Emily Fox to round out the back line. Christy Mewis, Lindsey Horan, and Ashley Sanchez in the middle third, and Lynn Williams, Alex Morgan, and Mallory Swanson to round out the top line there. 11 players, like I said, five uh, player rotations. We figured we were going to see that due to the quick turnaround and the type of round-robin style competition that this is. Um, but I think with those five players, I think you look at that number and you're looking immediately at those players to see like who, like how they're going to perform, what's their impact going to be. Um, and I think if we break this down half by half, yeah, even though you, you, we ran down the stats and the numbers just now, um, it was a little it was a little nervy. I guess maybe that's the word I'll go with. <laughs> You know, I, I, nervy, perhaps. Is, is, I, I don't mind nervy. that word. I don't mind that word at all. I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty good shout. I mean, when you look at the the changes, um, none of them too surprising, right? I think that we're seeing Vlachowinovsky utilizing the versatility of an Emily Fox on either side of the pitch because mm-hmm. she's. She started the first game on the right. Uh, She starts this game on the left. We ultimately see her switch to the right throughout this game. I think that is something of a Swiss army knife that Flacco is going to continue to use um, in Emily Fox. And we're seeing it being utilized right in back-to-back games. Um, I loved the Germa Cook center back duo. I think you have to be asking questions of those center backs and, and to have a Casey Murphy in goal behind them. It's different than an Alyssa mm-hmm. Nair. Um, I, I also think, I, I know you and I talked about an 80 French in goal, what we were going to see. Um, and we, we will preview the next match for the U S but I think that we're seeing that Casey Murphy is growing into this role as the number two goalkeeper on this team. I think she proved herself in this game. There was a lot of questions asked of Casey Murphy she kept a she kept a clean sheet. She kept the ball out of the back of the net. There was definitely some questionable moments, but other moments where Casey Murphy stepped up and, and saved this game for the United States. I was really impressed with what Casey Murphy did throughout this game. Um, and, and, but I think it did expose defensively what was going to happen for this team. I mean, you you just mentioned it. It was Christy Mewis in the midfield, Lindsey Horan, and Ashley Sanchez. Uh, Rose Lavelle still listed as unavailable for this match for the United States, dealing with a little bit of that that muscle strain that happened a few days before the competition started in She Believes Cup, which allowed for Ashley Sanchez to get that start again. But we got to see Christy Mewis in the defensive six. And I think that with Vlako Anonofsky looking at his options between Andy Sullivan, Taylor Korniak, and, and Christy Mewis, this is another option. Um, I, I was pretty impressed with Christy Mewis in this role, but we also saw a different structure in the midfield because the first game, it was very much side-by-side for those players. It was Haran and Sullivan being a dual six. In this game against Japan, Haran was, was pushed much higher and much wider, and it was Christy Mewis left alone in that six. And I, I just don't think that's going to work moving forward for this team. We got to see it, and it was tried, but Haran was lost in this midfield. Um, I think Christy Mewis played the best out of those three midfielders in a role that 
She doesn't typically play. She's Mewis is much higher up the field traditionally, formerly with the national team when she's played in the midfield with her club team at Houston Dash, now at Gotham last year. Mewis plays higher, and she played the defensive six role, and she played it very, very well. We have stats to run through on her as well, but I, I just think that Haran is going to be much better utilized deeper being in that double pivot in the defensive midfield because Sanchez was not inspiring in this this game especially in the first half and and neither was Haran. I do wonder a little bit if you know something <laughs> like the player rotation kind of um disrupts perhaps some of the flow from a qu- in a quick turnaround from game one to game two. It's a, it's a, no. it's a passing thought, but it's not an excuse or it shouldn't be an excuse, especially if you're a player that's getting those two consecutive starts, right? So when we're looking at that middle third specifically, we've got Haran and Sanchez with second consecutive starts. And the new piece there is Christy Mewis going forward and getting the mm-hmm. start against a new team uh, in, in a competition. So I'm, I'm with you in terms of, you know, hearing you say like, oh, I think that Mewis was was the better amongst the three. But I also think you can add on to that and say that she was the better amongst the three in a not so good first 45 minutes. And oh, that's yeah, like was, sort of what I think. I th- it was a defensive first 45 minutes for the United oh States. My. Goodness. That's, and I, maybe that's why Christy Mewis looked so good because she was being asked to do so much defensive work. And that's what her focus was heading into this game. They did not have a lot of time on the ball when, whenever they were, you saw, whenever they were trying to maybe, you know, go ahead and, and spearhead at something or, or lay off the pass for an attack, they were just swamped. You saw it. it there were moments in time where there were not just one, but double coverage from Japan in terms of their, their counter press. Amazing. Um, yeah. And it's just like it, but there was this other fleeting thought where I was just kind of like, listen, like Japan has, uh, you know, the better of the attacking play in mm-hmm. this first half. And the fact that they weren't, they hadn't gotten on the scoreboard in the opening half hour. I was like, you know what? I'm like, this is actually not good for Japan. Mm-hmm. The fact that they just are going and going and going and they're not getting anything like specifically dangerous. Like they got, we're talking about in the, in the first half alone, just get six shots off compared yes. to just two by the United States. But guess what? United States, Mallory Swanson only needed the one time on target, you know? So it's just kind of like, I would imagine that that's so frustrating as opposition when you're going against a team like the United States that you're putting together all of this good play. You have the stronger presentation of attack, you know, and then you're exiting this first half down one (laughs) on one shot from Mallory Swanson, who ends up uh, uh, scoring uh, in her fifth consecutive game. Uh, That becomes Mallory Swanson's sixth goal of 2023 on 11 shots, Sandra, six goals on 11 shots for Swanson. Um, That is amazing. And and Mm -hmm. that's, That just speaks so much to the stride that Swanson is on right now. But also a a team can't rely on Swanson to get one shot a game and score one goal. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're Japan, you're incredibly frustrated at that 35th minute mark, 40, 
40 minute mark when, when this happened. Um, and honestly, we saw the frustration in the United States because they were without the ball so much in that first 45 minutes, they were having to defend looking more like a four, two, three, one, or a four, five, one in their defensive shape, which frankly, we haven't seen enough that the United States be put on their heels and have to defend in their defensive half for long stretches of time. I liked watching it. I liked watching these players problem solved. Of course, I was a little bit nervous and I was impressed watching Japan, but I wanted to see how the United States could problem solve against an incredibly talented and organized Japan side because Japan gave the United States a little taste of their own medicine, what they gave to Canada, because in the first match for the U S against Canada, they came out fast. They came out hard and strong and they were pressing and they were winning the ball back Japan that did that to the United States and the United States had to deal with it. And there was definitely moments where they did not deal with it, giving the ball away, trying to clear it and not clearing it far enough or, or clearing it to no one. And Japan just being able to reset their offense Ultimately, we saw the United States kind of default to this kick and run direct style of soccer, which we just haven't seen from the United States uh, since the Olympics, I'm going to say. I was going to say, we we probably have to talk a little bit about how that goal yeah. happens or how it's 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 orchestrated, you know, by Sofia Huerta, who at this point we're talking about the players who got rotated in and which of the ones got, kind of got breakout. Maybe the scoreline is it indicative of, of, of perhaps some of the performances that we saw between mm-hmm. Cook and Girma. You know, like we I wanted to see that. I've said that a few times in the show already that I need to see. Guillermo and Cook specifically starting together. Uh, got to see that in this game. Um, what did you think of it? It was like average. I thought it was like fine. I think if you look at the scoreline and you look at sort of the overall play, you're like, okay, you you protected the clean sheet. We look back into this sort of final 20 minutes of the game, it sort of just sort of looks, and this is both teams, actually. I was going to say both teams kind of look as if they were a little spent, you know, kind of gassed maybe Mm -hmm. from the quick turnaround. But Japan also kind of suffering from that as well. I mean, that takes a lot out of you to sort of commit to that type of press as long as they have. And when you're defending as much as they were, right? I mean, if against Canada, the center backs didn't do as much work as they did in this game against Japan. I thought that Girma came out there and sort of showed what she can do and what she can provide for this team. I thought for Alana Cook, this is two consecutive um, starts for this center back now. And for the longest time for this team, Alana Cook has been um, the healthiest option for the United States. Good way to put it. In this position. And she has spent a lot of time in this role over – let's just say like the last 18 months or so. And there's been a lot of rotation within that, whether it's been due to uh, player absences because of injury or, uh, you know, getting in a new, a new player into the mix, like uh, a Naomi Girma because of the type of club season that she was putting together. Um, And now I think it's just about not so much seeing who that best uh, duo is going to be through the World Cup because I I imagine that their group stage is going to mirror some of what we're seeing in the She Believes Cup. There's going to be a game where perhaps your ideal center back duo does not get that start right. against a Vietnam, you know, going through the course of, of, of the three matches in New Zealand. So 
And that's why I say it was just, it's just fine. It's fine. They got, they ultimately get the clean sheet in this one. But looking at that first half specifically, I just felt like for the large chunks of that 45 minutes, Alana Cook was playing with her hands behind her back because she was trying to ensure that she was providing coverage without giving up a handball because Japan was getting their shots off in this, in this first half. So, you know, I, I wasn't that impressed. Performance, or do you look at that and say that that's kind of nervy? It's nervy. That is very nervy to me. As players, you want to be able to at least control some part of the game. And and even if you're put under pressure, you have to be able to complete passes as defenders, right, as center backs, without getting them intercepted. And I, I think that I was more impressed with Garma than I was Cook. I think Kirk, Cook made too many 50-50 passes, gave hospital balls away, uh, and just wasn't uh, wasn't stepping up to the plate with the ball in order to connect passes and get the ball out and be options for the United States. And that's really where they struggled. As soon as they would win it defensively, they they couldn't connect anything and they couldn't move the ball out. And I think Garma was a bit more aggressive, right? Stepping to the ball, being that first defender. Um, where it needs to be a balance between those two. And I think if Becky Sauerbrunn were to be in there, maybe it would have been a little bit of a different outcome. Maybe Japan not getting as many chances. Um, I'm not sure, but I was I was a little disappointed in that center back duo. I, I think Gurma did better than Cook. Let's talk a little bit about the outside backs. I heard you talk about yeah. Emily Fox. We saw Sophia Huerta get the start in this one. Uh, finally, it sort of feels like she hasn't gotten a start in, in some time with this team. But uh, getting the first half, the first 45 minutes in this game. Um, and I would say Huerta, along with, you know, Casey Murphy even at some times, um, Cook at some times, just sort of looked like there were just some balls that were given away. Yes. Um, and yes, that's maybe, again, that's another compliment to Japan and how they were applying the pressure. But there were moments where the decision making to lay off the ball into certain areas of spaces were ultimately just turnovers. Yeah. And a lot of turnovers. Up until, up until uh, you know, the, the, the goal sequence, I think you sort of look at the back line and you're wondering at this point, well, who's going to, is there going to be someone that's rotated out? at halftime and it did end up being Huerta, but she exited, she exits this match helping to sort of facilitate this goal. She got the hockey assist. She got got the, we're talking about that long, those long direct balls. We just see Huerta, you know, get it with, get it up to, to Morgan and she holds up the play and she also lobs this ball into space and Swanson gets behind it and she doesn't need a lot of time and encouragement and all of a sudden she's behind it and is able to control the ball and get the shot up and get the goal and finishes cleanly. So they enter halftime despite having some of these nervy and cagey moments in this game. They they exit into halftime with the lead. So these adjustments that I thought we were going to see like multiple subs, we only see one. Mm-hmm. We see Sonnet for Huerta to start this second half. So in terms of what we're looking at of the outside backs, we've got two that we can look at in 45 minute shifts. Do you feel similarly like hearing you talk about like Cook and Germa of the two of the two center backs? Did you of the three uh, outside backs that we saw in this game, do you feel stronger about one over the other? Um, I was a little disappointed in what we saw from Sofia Huerta in the outside back position. Huerta is 
a converted outside back. She was a former forward. And and Huerta's skills and her strengths as an outside back include attacking up the flank, taking the space in front of her, combination play with midfields and forwards, sending crosses in. That is her bread and butter, and she is very good at it. I I will not take that away from Huerta at all. But Mm. when you are – pressed up against a Japan side that is putting you under a lot of pressure, not letting you have any time on the ball, doing a high press, making it very difficult for you and your team to build out of the back. That's not where to strength. But when, when players are attacking her and it's two V one against where to one V one against where to, she got beat. She got beat down that right side of the flank. Uh, meanwhile, I think you look at a, an Emily Fox, and although she does have those strengths of getting into the attack, having the freedom to kind of just run forward, and she can send crosses in, Fox is also a very good 1v1 defender. She also has that background of, of being a defender, and I'm not saying you have to to be a defender by any means, but I think Emily Fox shown a bit brighter and had more positives defensively against Japan just because Huerta was forced to defend so much and couldn't attack at all. It did did nothing well with the ball because the United States didn't have the ball and it exposed Huerta's defensive skills. Let's chat a little bit more about some of the subs that took in this game to sort of kind of wrap things up and put a little bit of a bow on it. We we saw Andy Sullivan get back into this game. Uh, we saw, excuse me, yeah, we saw Andy Sullivan get back into this game. Trinity Rodman get back into this game right around the hour mark. Those were the two subs coming in at the 64th minute. Ashley Hatch on for uh, Alex Morgan in the 70th minute. And uh, Megan Rapino on for Swanson as well in the 70th minute. Taylor Cornea getting some time in this game, again, as a very late game off the bench option. Uh, coming in in the 85th minute. For Lindsay Horan and getting a caution immediately, that was very confusing. Uh, I think it was just sort of because of the the uh, the sub window and how that took took place. Um, but uh, in terms of these uh, extra substitutions, these players that came on, um, you know, ones that stood out right or were able to make an impact for you in their limited time. Yeah, I mean, I, I like some of these subs coming in. Honestly, Sonic coming on at the 45-minute mark. I know we just talked a little bit about the outside backs, but um, I was impressed with Sonic, very impressed with her in the first game against Canada. This one, uh, maybe not as much. She didn't have as much of an impact on the game. Um, and then Rodman coming in and, and Sullivan for Sanchez. Um, this, this was a little bit different in the midfield, these substitutes that happened because um, – it, it players were pushed higher, right? Haran was pushed much higher in the midfield um, as Sullivan came on for Sanchez and, and kind of how everything unfolded there. Um, and then Hatch, again, Hatch coming in for Morgan, I, I just wasn't as impressed with her as I had been in months prior. Even against Canada, it was kind of like the pieces weren't coming together. I'm I'm curious if if it becomes like you have to play the players that play in club together. Like, right, if we see an Ashley Sanchez, a Trinity Rodman, and Ashley Hatch and Andy Sullivan together, will there be a little bit of magic happening? But that's not what this team is waiting for. That's what club is for, and that's what they can do there. But you need to be able to perform, create as a forward, as, a, as an attacking midfielder, 
without relying on players around you. Um, frankly, we, we got to see the first glimpses of, of a Megan Rapino in a tournament like this coming in for Swanson. I think that immediately, as soon as Megan Rapino came on, there was a bit more possession for these United States team, just Megan Rapino dropping deeper into the midfield and, and connecting those passes. Um, not many minutes given to her, not many minutes given to Corniak, but ultimately I think that with Sam, with, excuse me, Christy Mewis in the midfield, I was impressed with it. I think that if we do a Christy Mewis with uh, alongside an Andy Sullivan in the midfield, being both defensive sixes, that could open up some very cool possibilities for this United States team. And, and I think Haran needs to be deeper in the midfield than higher. Yeah, I would like to see it. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I mean, you've got one more game uh, yeah. in this tournament. Why not try some stuff? Because after this, the, the windows are just two remaining in terms of the available prep time for for this team. Um, but uh, I think in terms of sort of the, the main kind of, I think, breakout performances out of this game, we, we take a look at, at those substitutions and sort of wrap up and close the game. And then we sort of take a look at those, those five players that got rotated in, right? You want to yeah. look at these players who finally get this window of time to really try to leave that impact uh, on the coaching staff as, you know, that player pool tends to get smaller and smaller as the world cup gets closer and closer. But I think obviously the big standout is Casey Murphy Huge. coming up with massive saves down the stretch. Um, you know, for, for a team that's sort of just sort of looked like they were feeling the 90 minutes at, at that point. Um, but uh, coming up with a couple highlights type of real kind of stats or excuse me, sort of highlights. Uh, but I liked Gurma in, in, yep. in position as well. It's great to see her. And, um, you know, for so, some of the kind of nervy kind of moments out of where I think this is just an, a game from her. That's just another one of those reminders of, of what her strengths are, you know? Yeah. What I mean? So um, good to see it. And I hope we get to see some more rotations in the yeah. next game. How about you? Who stood out? I agree. Casey Murphy for sure stood out, kept this, kept this scoreline at, at a zero for the United States, kept the shutout. Um, I think really grew into this role as, as much of a leader as she could be in her communication and in the way she organized defensively. There was a lot of questions asked of Casey Murphy, and I think she answered them very well. I, I was very impressed with her. I think Germa in the center back as well. I think Fox is someone that Vlachonovsky is going to lean on. Um, of course, Mallory Swanson, like, of course, like this player is just electric right now, whatever she's eating keep feeding it to her you know keep her feeling good and and she's just able to score easy goals and I don't mean easy goals I just mean like clinical goals and that is that well, is what was lacking look easy yeah. yes and that was what was lacking from her game uh three years ago four years ago right that's what she was struggling with um I honestly was very impressed with Christy Mewis in the midfield I think she looked the best in that first half out of any of the midfielders um there was a lot of questions asked of Christy Mewis and, and she answered them the in the role that she was doing as the defensive midfielder, as the six. She made a lot of really big stops. She had nine defensive recoveries, six tackles. She won 10 duels out of 12 contested duels. I think defensively, Christy Mewis was fantastic for the United States. And then on the other side of the ball, because Christy Mewis is, is traditionally more of a 10, much higher up the pitch, she's got a really good 
vision to understand how to play balls, where to slip them through. Perhaps there are times when she plays them and, and maybe it's not the safest choice. We don't see traditional sixes play that pass, but with Chrissy Mewis, she's able to do that. She had 83 touches in this game against Japan. Um, her passing completion rate was over 90% for each half. 61 of 67 passes were completed. That is an unreal stat for a defensive midfielder. And a lot of these passes were forward played passes, right? You're not just connecting as a defensive six with your center backs when there's no one around you. Um, I was really impressed with Christy Mewis. I'm excited to see what happens next for the U.S. against Brazil. 100%. Right on. I love that. I think that's a good pick. Love that you had the numbers to, to back it up as well. Uh, but there's, look, the win means that the United States stay on top of the standings in She Believes Cup. They are currently in first place, but Canada and Brazil also have a win under their belt in this competition. Goal differential might come into play mm -hmm. in the final match day. We've got a preview of the United States and Brazil right after a quick break. All right, one match day remaining in the 2023 She Believes Cup. The United States will play their finale against Brazil on Wednesday, February 22nd. It's kicking off at 7 p.m. Eastern. This one for all the marbles. So <laughs> let's take a look at, uh, at the standings right now. We've got uh, the United States in first place with six points, but they've also got a three goal uh, differential in this one. Canada in second place with their three points, the tiebreaker with goal differential currently at zero. Japan with their loss to Brazil falling into third place with three points and a negative one goal differential and Japan in fourth place with a negative two goal differential and zero points. So effectively, out of contention to win the She Believes Cup, but they also have one game remaining as well against Canada. So a number of things would have to happen to sort of knock off the United States uh, from winning their home tournament. They would have to lose against Brazil, and Brazil would have to beat them by about four to five goals to make things up. And they would need Japan to defeat Canada as well, while Canada would need the favor from uh, Brazil. Uh, and also defeat Japan by a, a slew of goals. So, so there's a lot of moving parts. This is moving. what I'm understanding. Um, yeah, and I, I tried my best to, to lay that out there in terms of setting up the the final stage for for everyone. But in terms of United States versus Brazil, <clears throat> we have another two teams that have uh, long histories against each other. Uh, have typically played uh, in more recent history some wild matches. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about She Believes Cups and, and Tournament of Nations, you know, as Brazil has participated in some of these competitions in the United States. Uh, they have provided some, some, pretty, some pretty fun um, fixtures, we'll just say, between these, these two teams. But these two teams going up against each other, after already having two games played in She Believes Cup, yeah. I think you've got a lot of footage. I think you've got a lot of uh, minutes in between to where this is already kind of setting up uh, the possibility of having another classic kind of fun uh, what can happen type of game between these two teams. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a lot of 
uh, excitement around this one. And, and the way that she believes tournament is set up as this round robin tournament, um, the United States will play the later game against Brazil. So uh, some results may already be a little bit determined. I know you talked about like how many different factors there are for who will raise the cup, uh, but still not possible, right? Like if, if Brazil comes down to it and ends up beating the United States in this late game, a lot can happen, but this is a very, very big matchup. And I think that when you look at the past two, she believes cup matches for either side, the Americans and the Brazilians, there's been steps, there's been growth and there's been progress, right? We've saw from Brazil, we saw them uh, not start as strong against Japan, um, not come out uh, as fast as they could. And then they make some tactical changes in the second half, opening up a little bit more of their offensive threats and giving them more space on the field against a Japanese side that allows them to attack and, and continue to move forward in those roles. Then we see Brazil against a, a Canadian side that struggles on set pieces from Frankly, that was the biggest thing on clearances uh, because Canada had opportunities and, and Brazil just couldn't execute on the clearances. Brazil also had a lot of chances. They got in behind Canada's back line and, and couldn't finish their chances. Some good goalkeeping by Kaylin Sheridan, but also some some tough moments offensively for Brazil. So we saw a lot of different pieces from this Brazilian side. And I think likewise with the United States, they came out really fast against Canada and they did not come out fast against Japan. And that was an emphasis for Vlako Anonofsky in this U.S. side. Coming into this game against Brazil, the Americans need to start fast. They need to start quick, start fast, get shots on, force Brazil to defend in the opening five minutes, put on high counter press, make it really difficult for Brazil to build out of the back. It, those are some of the questions that I'm looking at for the United States. Can they impose their game on the Brazilians? Um, because we did not see that at all against Japan for the United States. And, and I think a little bit comes down to personnel too. We saw five changes for the Americans in the second game against Japan. And, and how is that going to look against Brazil in this third match? I'm curious about the personnel as well. Yep. Um, we're looking back on these two matches going into the final match day. There are multiple players now who have got consecutive starts and I'm with you hundred percent. I want to see the United States show us some of what they presented to Canada in that first match. You want to get out there, get on the front foot, hit the pedal to the hit the pedal to the metal, and just go, go, go. Right? They they started out quick and they never looked back against Canada. Are we going to see that against Brazil? Is there enough in the tank to see that against Brazil on a final match day? That's where my thought process is because there's a number of players now that we can look at from match day one and match day two that have had consecutive starts. We talked about Lindsey Horan in that midfield. We talked about Ashley Sanchez. We haven't talked about Mallory Swanson getting two consecutive starts in this tournament, mm -hmm. playing extended minutes. Are we going to see the same from her? Um, Lynn Williams and Trinity Rodman kind of uh, switching off as in that extra winger role. Uh, whereas in the first match against Canada, Rodman was tasked with the star and got extended minutes. And then against Japan, it was a little bit of the reverse for, for Lynn Williams. Um, Alex Morgan with two consecutive starts uh, in, in a game like this. Is Rose Lavelle's availability 
um, yeah. going to change for this game against Brazil. Uh, hearing Andonovsky talk about uh, sort of the muscle strain that was, you know, picked up in training by Lavelle, that she was available in, in full training ahead of Japan, but she was going to be on a game day decision that they were not going to risk a player if they felt that injury was a possibility. And we didn't see Rose Lavelle for, for a second consecutive game. So do you just say, okay, you're good to go. And now you get Brazil. Like there's a number of things that I'm looking at. So I, yes, I, I'm with you. I'm with you hundred percent, dude. I want to see that <laughs> quick counter press. We, we want to see them double up. What's left in the take at this point? Yeah, I agree. I think that some of the questions do fall around a player like Rose Lavelle. If she's back, um, do you even play her at this point? Like, it, I I think yes. I think yes. Maybe not a start, but she would rotate in, get some minutes. Um, but also, if she's only 60%, it's not worth it to, to injure yeah. a player like Rose Lavelle. So unless she was maybe 90%, in Nashville before the Japan game. And now after more days rest, more days recovery, more day training, you can say Rose is now at a hundred percent and she has been at a hundred percent for a few days. That's when we'll see her no other time. Um, I, I'm not sure so much in terms of like rotation, what we're going to see because yeah, how much is left in the tank? Like sure that that can be a question of this, but also I, I think it doesn't matter so much because the, this team is preparing for the World Cup and you're going to have to play back-to-back -back games. And and you asked about Mallory Swanson. She's the only U.S. player to have started every game so far in 2023. Um, She's got I, all the goals that she believes, Cup. Who else is going to score for you if they don't start her? <laughs> I agree completely. I think Swanson gets the start. You don't uh, – unless something happens, right, unless there there's a little bit of soreness or fatigue in the muscles. But frankly, no, I think uh, – what we've seen from Swanson over the last two years is that she has grown into be a professional in every sense of the word. And that means taking care of her body from the inside on the outside. Um, I, I think that we do see a start from Swanson. I do. Um, I, I also, I, I don't think that we got to see enough of Lynn Williams against Japan. I, I just think that the way the game unfolded when Lynn Williams wasn't utilized as best as she could have been, which was maybe a detriment to herself and, and some people would say, hey, we, why you didn't? We didn't even, Sandra, you and I didn't even talk about Lynn Williams in the Japan game. We didn't talk about Alex Morgan. We don't, only talked about Swanson because she scored the goal, but we didn't talk about them. But I don't think it has uh, to do with the lack of their skill, their effort, or, or what. It was just kind of the way the game was unfolding. And frankly, it was a big result of the, the midfield in the match for the United States against Japan because they weren't able to get the ball to Lynn Williams. So that's something that I'm struggling with. Like, I, I think I do want to see Lynn Williams get more minutes in this game. Um, I think we'll see Dunn again in the back line. I think maybe we could see a start from Sonnet. I do just because he's given her 45 minutes in both games, but second 45s, does he give her a first 45, see how she starts the game? That's something that I'm, I'm looking at right there. You know what? I would love to see it. I would love to see Emily Sonic get her first 45 minutes against Brazil and what that looks like. I think it would be a test. I think it would answer a lot of questions. And, and we need questions answered at this point. I would, yes, I'm with you. I would love to see Emily Sonny get a first against the Caroline. Yes, or against the yes. that's what I want to see. You know Emily Fox is going to be fine defensively against them. Honestly, yeah. 
Fox you are. players with two consecutive starts, right? At this you point. know that Fox is going to be fine. Expose yourself. Give Sana to run 45 minutes. And if she gets destroyed, then you know what you're working with. We've seen uh, another position that we've seen rotation. And we saw Alyssa Nair get that first game against Canada in goal. We saw Casey Murphy get a clean sheet against Japan. There's a third game here. There's a third goalkeeper on this roster. Do we see Adriana Franch get a game in this one? And is it going to be against Brazil? I want I want to see AD Franch get 90 minutes. I don't think we will. Yeah, same here. I couldn't yeah, same same here, same preface. It's like Honestly, I think it. we I think we might see Casey Murphy again. Yeah. I, I wouldn't do. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think uh I think the idea behind that if it's if it's something the idea behind that is like we see you as our number two going into the World Cup. Granted, when you're building a World Cup roster, they're gonna take three goalkeepers, right? Yeah. They always take three goalkeepers. But right. in, terms, in terms of, you know, sort of having those conversations with your three goalkeepers that you intend to take to the World Cup and how you want them to stay mentally ready you're having a certain type of conversation maybe with somebody like Casey Murphy. So I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to that, but I'm with you in that. I really want to see French get a game. And she do too. I do um, too. But wouldn't be surprised if it gets, if it's given to, to Murphy um, at this point, just for more reps against, against yeah. the, a team with uh, with a different style. And she played um, so well against Japan, right? She she's coming off of a high. Can she keep that up, right? Now it now it comes down to a little bit of the consistency question for Murphy, right? You saw she did it against Japan. She had a great game, made two massive saves for the United States. Um I I think she will get the start. I want to see French, but I think that the way it's going, I I think we'll see Murphy. Some narrow score lines for these two teams in, in previous She Believes Cup. I, I think it was a 1-0. It was a 1-0 scoreline in 2019 mm-hmm. against Brazil. And then uh, in 2021, it was a 2-0 scoreline uh, between these two teams. The United States, both on you know the, the winner's column in, in that one. Um, maybe let's close it out with a prediction. Do, we think, do you think this is going to end a certain kind of way? Who's your pick? What's your scoreline? I think the Americans are going to win. I, I think they'll they'll win this game against Brazil and the entirety of the She Believes Cup end up lifting the trophy at the end. But in terms of a scoreline, um, I think I'm going to go 2-1 Americans. Mm-hmm. I think that with the defensive structure, I, I just think that Brazil is going to look to get a goal and that they might, right? It's, I think we might see more minutes from Marta as well. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's been subbed in in the 60th minute mark in the first two games. Maybe we see her at the 45 minute mark at this point. Yeah, listen, I went with <laughs> I went with a three one uh, scoreline against Japan, and uh, Japan has struggled themselves. Right, we're talking about even though they looked really good in the attack, multiple shots, uh, total shots, but only a, a second consecutive game for Japan with only one attempt on target. Mm-hmm. So. With Brazil, that's a little bit different, you know. Not only are they getting their shots off, they're getting some. They're getting some on goal. 
Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm looking for the rotations in in this one, but I want to see some some goals in this one. So I don't know if it's going to be a high flying goal scoring affair, but I do think the United States are going to come out with a win. Um, and I went three one for Japan. I'm going to keep that for this one as well. I'd like to see a three one in this one. I don't know if it's going to happen. I think it's more realistic to have zero. <laughs> so if if Swanson manifest it, if Swanson has scored. All of the goals in She Believes Cup so far uh, for the United States. She's on a five-game scoring scoring streak, and you want three goals from the Americans. How many is Swanson scoring? I'm going to say she gets two, and Lynn Williams gets one. I love that. I love that. I think we could – two for Swanson is, like, on par. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> Easy money. <laughs> You like it. I love it. But that's all we've got for everyone today. Thank you all so much for listening to Attacking Third. Download, follow, listen to us anywhere you get your podcast. You can watch us too. Subscribe to us on YouTube so that you get alerts for whenever we go live at youtube.com slash attacking third. We will be back with a full recap of the United States women's national team against Brazil. So stay tuned for that episode for Sandra Herrera and Lisa Roman. This was Attacking Third. 